Welcome to the Healthy Love and Money Podcast. If you find money to be the number one, two, or even third largest source of stress in your relationship, then you're in the right place. Going beyond how to budget, invest, and do your taxes, we're going to explore financial intimacy. Discover how to talk with your partner about your shared financial life. Let's take the awkward and painful out of money conversations. Join me and hit follow to listen to weekly inspiring, healing, and motivating interviews with financial therapists, couples therapists, and financial planners, and so many more. Let's go on the journey of financial intimacy together. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another podcast episode, Healthy Love and Money. Today, I have Sarah Swantner with me. She's a dear friend and fellow financial therapist. And today, we're just going to take some time to reflect on her journey into the field of financial therapy, what it's meant for her, and you know, the hope that as you listen to her story, you'll recognize and see things for yourself that will give you new avenues for opening up your own relationship with money. Uh, Sarah, it's such an honor to have you here and uh, look forward to this wonderful conversation we're going to have. Thanks, Ed. I always enjoy my conversations with you. You know, I, I'm not even sure how long we've known each other now, but it's been quite a number of years and we've had quite a number of conversations about what financial therapy is, what it means to each of us, how we use it with clients. And you have really a, a powerful journey into the field of therapy. You know, if I remember right, you started your career in engineering. Yes. And then you went into financial planning. I did. And then you learned about the field of therapy and more specifically financial therapy. Can you tell us a little bit about what that journey was like for you? Sure. Yeah. Well, first of all, I didn't see it as a journey at the time. <laughs> okay. I saw it as what is happening. I keep changing careers. What is going on? You know, <laughs> um, I, I didn't see the big picture until more recently when I was able to look back and, and what, what it ended up really being for me was this journey from working with things to working mm. with people. Wow. Yeah. That's that's really big. Working with things to working with people. Can you tell us more about that and what that means for you? I, I imagine there's going to be a lot of people that really connect with that. Yeah. I mean, when I was younger, I mean, by that I mean high school, college, I kind of had a thing for numbers and, and ended up being an engineer kind of because I was a little bit lost. There was, it seemed like a somewhat logical choice uh -huh. and, you know, I had some encouragement from various people in my life and it was, it was like, okay, you know, this is, this is all right. There's some really interesting, fascinating stuff here. And ultimately as an engineer, I was working with things, working uh -huh. with numbers. I mean, obviously I'm working with people as team members, but the focus is on, you know, a machine of some sort, a, a product. So working with things and um, financial planning was this really unique combination of things and people. Uh, and by things, it was a different kind of thing, you know, not machines or anything like that or tangible things, but numbers and people and insurance, you know, retirement plans, still kind of things, but also right. this relationship with people. Right. right. So it's like starting to engage with people more 
And I didn't necessarily know when I made that change, like, hey, I want to engage with people more. It was more, uh, I want to change the focus of the things I'm working on. (laughs) Uh, Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. But as I made that change and started working with people, I started realizing how much I liked that. Being able to help people, uh, being able to explain things, teach. Um, And then ultimately, as I stayed in the financial planning world, which at first was very much like engineering, my technical and analytical background helped me tremendously as a financial planner. And I loved that. But I got more and more into the relationship piece and... You know, that's when I started to realize, wow, I really like this. And there's a lot more to it than explaining things to people. There's a lot Mm. more to it, right? (laughs) (laughs) It's not just look at these numbers. Uh, Man, there's that... There's that old part of me, the old financial planner of me is like, man, I miss those days and I wish that's how it was. It's so much simpler when that's how the world worked in my mind. Right. Except it doesn't work then, right? Then it's like, why isn't my mind, you know, matching up with how it's really working in the world? Like, okay, this isn't the whole thing, right? Right. There's There's more to this. Yes. You know, which is where financial therapy started to come in. So tell us more about that and like, in your own words, what is financial therapy? You know, okay, I, I don't want to make this any kind of official definition of financial therapy, and it probably certainly won't be concise enough to be a definition <laughs> uh, that can be, be used anywhere. You know, but sometimes, a lot of times, we all, I think all of us, to some degree, have this, have these things that are blocking us from reaching our goals or being able to do the thing we want to do or to feel good about ourselves and the decisions we make and to just be at peace. Mm-hmm. And you know, when that shows up in money, obviously it can be very devastating in, at times mm-hmm. because money is, you know how money is. It really, we needed to live. And when it's, you know, not going the way we want it to, and it's creating a lot of, havoc in our lives, then, you know, that's, that's a big struggle. And so, you know, financial therapy to me is helping people understand, uh, you know, get some insight and then work through all of the emotional and cognitive patterns, relationship patterns that are kind of hijacking things for them with their money. Mm, I love that word hijacking things. I'm sure that that feels resonant for a lot of folks where like even for the for folks as they're trying to do the right thing and it's like I'm getting hijacked and I can't even get done what I want to get done and say I want to get done is that kind of what you're talking about yeah absolutely yeah yeah because a lot of times not always but quite often especially in financial planning it would be yeah yeah we want to do this yeah this sounds great this makes sense this is what we want to do and it doesn't always happen which, you know, is usually the head scratcher for the financial planner is, wait a second, I've laid out a good plan. They've agreed to it that it's a good plan. And they even say, yeah, we're going to take action on it. But then they leave the office and nothing happens. Right. Yeah, exactly. And would you say that that happened, whether it was on budgeting and cash flow, retirement plans, taxes, insurance, estate planning? Uh, yeah, absolutely. It, would hap- it can happen in any of those categories. Some might be more commonly difficult than others, in my experience, like estate planning. Ah, uh, uh-huh. You know, that one, you know, fairly easy to just 
kind of put that on the back burner. Some for some reason it doesn't seem as pressing, and I you know I personally can relate to that. I've been wanting to make some changes in my estate planning for a number of years now, <laughs> and uh, just haven't done it. You know, <laughs> like wow, I could die tomorrow, and uh, we all could. Yet yeah. it, we we tend to think of of you know death as being further down the road, or maybe we do think of it as being at any moment, and we just don't want to look at that any number of reasons. Mm. So. If you were your own client, how would you start to walk yourself through that? <laughs> yeah, well, let's see. I would probably ask myself uh, to talk a little bit more about the changes I want to make and why those are important to me, how I would feel if I didn't make them. Mm. How's it going to feel after I do? You know, just trying to get at that importance, the motivation, the bigger picture. See where that goes. Yeah, I like that. Well, right. I think what you're saying is is you know so resonant for us as therapists, and the way we kind of approach it is curiosity and, and compassion, right? There would there'd be no judgment against yourself for why you haven't done it. It's just what would motivate you to do this. What are maybe some of the the consequences you imagine you would experience if you didn't do this? Yeah, I'm trying absolutely. to build that that uh, motivation from within. Mm-hmm. You know, I think part of the goal of this interview and the the podcast at larger is helping people understand how different of a paradigm financial therapy is relative to financial planning or financial coaching, even which I know is getting more and more popular that there really is something different in the way we think about things when we're doing financial therapy. Um, So you're busy seeing clients these days and help helping them with, some combination of their mental health and their financial well-being. Is that fair to say? That's correct, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I know confidentiality, of course, but what are you seeing in your practice? What are some of the themes that and, and issues that you're really enjoying helping folks walk through now? Probably the most common is cash flow. Uh-huh. And it could be an individual and it could be a couple. I see instances of both. Uh-huh. Um, that's just really the most, I would say the most common thing that, that I work with. And I like it because we get to get into both that way. We get to get into some spreadsheets. We get to do some strategies on how to think about cash flow and what's actually happening with your money. Where's it going? You know, so that's the very, you know, the technical side, the things we get to work with things, which I still like things. Yeah. <laughs> Right, right. And, you know, so we do that. We do that work. And, you know, just being, you know, building this awareness of where money's going. So there's a little bit of sort of mindfulness or getting getting in touch with with my money or with our money, where it's going. And then uh, we also get to explore all the thoughts and feelings and behaviors around money, their origins, how they might be playing into whatever's happening with their cash flow. Um, so we do a little bit of that work on the emotional side. And, and then we get to dream about the future too. You know, like what do you want your money to do for you, your cash flow? How, how do you want it to be supporting you in your life? So there's some, some aspirational work as well. So this is kind of these three, three areas where we get to hang out, which is, is really fun. 
You know, something that I love about you, Sarah, is you're just so calm and so patient. So I'm imagining as clients are working with you and they're probably, some of them are probably quite flustered and a bit all over the place. Like just that calm energy of like, we're just, we're going to walk through this. We're going to look at the, the, the technical side of this. We're going to talk about your thoughts and your feelings and your behaviors and then kind of the aspirations. And imagine how many of the clients have ever really been aspirational about where they want their money to go that you work with? Uh, it's fairly rare. It's rare. Yeah. Well, I wouldn't say it's rare that they have aspirations. I, I, that's not what I mean. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. that no. Maybe not where I was trying to go. Yes. It's rare that it's built into the plan. Oh, okay. So can you maybe give us a practical example of what that might look like? Sure. I mean, I think that a lot of times we don't even have a plan for the not so aspirational things, the things that we're not excited about happening, but we know they're going to happen. Uh-huh. You know, like the car breaking down. Right. Or the fact that I go to the dentist twice a year and I don't have insurance, so it comes out of my pocket. You know, or I uh-huh. pay the six month insurance premium, that kind of thing. Like a lot of t- a lot of times, we don't have the, the plan for that. Mm-hmm. You know, let mm-hmm. alone the fact that I'm going to go on this fabulous vacation next summer, and I'm going to go. Actually, you know, I'm going to go, but I don't I don't necessarily have a plan for it in my cash flow, right? Right. Just, you know, creates all these ongoing stress. Create creates stress. Mm-hmm. Uh, financial stress, you know, emotional stress tension in relationships because a lot of times um, I think it's just human nature. A lot of times we spend what what's in front of us because we can, it's there. If it doesn't have a place, it doesn't have another place. And you know, some people that that's not obviously true for everyone. Some people have a hard time spending. That's a a totally another story. Um, Ah. We all have these patterns with money that we learned uh-huh. So, um, yeah, I don't want to go off on a tangent here. Your, your question is about the aspirations. And so just what I, what I see is a lot of times it's not built into the, into the plan. Does that make more sense? Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, I love tangents, so I'm okay <laughs> with them. Podcast, t- tangents, it's all good. The listeners may have a struggle, but that's okay. If you're listening to this podcast, tangents will be a part of the podcast. <laughs> Um, you know, because I think sometimes at the end of the tangents where the, the nugget is. And so, you know, as we're thinking about aspirations and being able to build them into the plan, what do you see happen for your clients as they really start to bake, bake in their aspirations into their, their cash flow plan? Uh, you know, I think it, it has an effect of kind of, uh, adding some lightness to the situation or taking away some of the heaviness. That, mm. that they often feel when, when we first start talking. This is heaviness around, uh, where am I spending my money? And, you know, this feeling of if we do this work, maybe I'm going to end up feeling more controlled or constrained. Just, uh, you know, it's like it doesn't feel good. But when find that when we start thinking about what could be mm. things I want in my life and how how they're, they could be possible. Um, it, it just opens up a new perspective and a new way of thinking and feeling about this word budget. I you know, don't even like to use that word really. 
<laughs> but even I see your face light up a little bit as we kind of look at the reframing of the budget. Right. Um, and yeah, the heaviness that comes along with that, the word and the, the kind of, uh, what did you say? Constraining? Yeah. Constrained, controlled, you know, I don't have options. Uh-huh. There's all this like, Oh, that, that would, I would run away from that <laughs> personally. Like, I don't like any of that. Uh, I, you know, I, I don't know that I've met too many people that do like that. <laughs> exactly. Uh, um, but you know, when you recognize that there's liberation and freedom and influence, um, and good budgeting and planning, it makes it a much more appealing thing to sit into. And, you know, that's probably one of the big gifts. Uh, I've been thinking a lot about, you, know, you talked about the stories and experiences and like, I wonder how many adults felt controlled by money in childhood and constrained and then like and so that just gets mapped right into their uh, adult unwillingness to budget or stay budgeting yeah yeah absolutely you know or to continue to put those constraints and that control on on themselves even though they don't like it oh like they're unnecessarily constraining themselves maybe sure yeah Mm. oh you know, just to keep keep the familiar situation or pr- putting themselves in situations where those constraints and controls become uh, needed or, you know, do you know what I mean? Like, it's kind of... Yeah, the word trauma reenactment is just yeah, yeah. bubbling through my head. Absolutely, yes. Is that what kind of what you're going after? And, yes, yes. Uh, all right, so... How do you define trauma reenactment? And remember, I'm not holding you accountable. Like no one else, like this is just a conversation. So it's okay. <laughs> but like we reenact our financial trauma sometimes. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think once again, not going to be any kind of definition used in a textbook. Yeah. I think the things that, you know, the relationship situations, the other emotional patterns, you know, that we have in our life Mm -hmm. uh, that have, that we've learned from traumatic experiences in a way it's safer for us to keep having them because it's what's familiar. And it's so hard to break out and do something different to have a different experience. It's so scary, you know? So we will, Mm -hmm. we almost, is that that word hijacking could come in, but honestly, we're just trying to keep ourselves safe. We're just trying to do what we learn to do to survive, and we keep doing it. I'm really having this in this moment, even in this kind of much deepen, much greater deepening awareness as you're talking about this and the trauma. Like I brought the word trauma reenacting, but you were you were already there, and I just put the words to it. And honestly, Sarah, like I've in the last, I don't know. As a four or five months, I really have gotten back into being more disciplined around my business finances. And I had allowed for a long period of time of just like kind of head in the sand, to be honest, and didn't want to look at it. And um, as I've put the, the practice in at, on the 10th and on the 25th, I look at the finances, I pay myself, you know, pay bills that are, are needed. And I looked at the, the account today and I was surprised like had this surprise, like, whoa, what's all this money doing there? And it's 
And I realized that, I guess even in talking with these today, is that I've managed my business numbers into account balances that feel comfortable and familiar. And seeing that number that was bigger than what feels right or comfortable was unsettling for me. Yeah. And so, like, without sharing any specific numbers, I know, like, there's, I've got to find a way to reset that level of how much money I should have in my business checking account. Because here's the great irony. These numbers that I have been trying to managing in my business account are actually reflective of my checking account balances, probably from my like mid twenties when I was a firefighter. Okay. Right. And so like, like those numbers were appropriate on a firefighter salary, but not appropriate for a therapy practice owner and 41 year old male. So uh, I feel a little embarrassed sharing all this and people will listen to this, but I I said this, you're so safe that, you know, I knew some magical stuff would happen on this interview. (laughs) Um, but you, as you're listening, you're hearing this, this is real. Like as we are with someone that's safe to talk about what we're really experiencing, we start to make new connections that maybe we couldn't make before because of, I I know for me and for so many people, that fear of judgment is just so pervasive around money. Yes. Can you talk a little bit about how that impacts people's willingness or ability to, to face their own financial lives? Hey everyone. Thank you so much for listening to the healthy love and money podcast. I'm honored that you spend time with me listening to these incredible interviews. I love working with individuals and couples around their financial life, integrating mental health and relational well-being. I'd love to personally invite you into my financial planning practice where I do therapy-informed financial planning, bringing together mental health, relationship health, and financial well-being. If you're thinking that's the type of help you'd like, please see the show notes below to schedule your free 30-minute discovery call. And I'll look forward to seeing you and hearing more about your unique story and how I can best support you. Now, back to the show. I know for me and for so many people, that fear of judgment is just so pervasive around money. Yes, it is. Can you talk a little bit about how that impacts people's willingness or ability to to face their own financial lives? Mm. Well, what's coming up for me right now is how when I work with people, sometimes one one side of the work will be easier than the other. And mm. I think judgment may be a part of that. Fear of judgment may be a part of that. Um, other things, of course, too. Sure. Could could enter in um, just I mean, the possibility of experiencing strong emotions you know, is, is scary also. Mm. But, you know, revealing, revealing information about myself to someone else, there's always that fear of judgment especially if we have a history of of being criticized in the past or judged Um, that can just compound it but what i what i this pattern that i sometimes see is that for whatever reason um it may be easier to look at the numbers Mm. and but as far as like going into the stories the memories you know the things that happened in my childhood, it's like, nope, not, not going to go there. But I've also seen the opposite. Like, yeah, we can explore my feelings and um, 
some of the things that have happened, but I don't want you to see the actual numbers. I don't want you to see the result of what's going on right now. I mean, I've seen it go both ways. It's, it's very interesting for some reason. I think judgment can play into that, that fear of judgment uh, being evaluated. And so, but, but honestly, like if we want to move forward in, in, you know, towards financial health and getting the balance in our life that we want, the relationship with money that we want, we really need to look at both. You know? Wow. That's, that's so great. So clarifying even is some people can be really great at just looking at the numbers and they can see like, okay, well, this category is this much and it's a, this percentage of my total income, which means I only have this much for this boom, 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 and they just line it out mm-hmm. and kind of divorce from what that actually feels like for them or their partner. Right. Yeah. Right? It's just logical. It's like, well, we have $5,000 a month to spend on this or 3000 or whatever the number is in, in context. And then some people would love telling you the stories and probe around and feeling and looking at what are my thoughts around money? Oh yeah. Like I feel really afraid of money when I'm here or in this asking for a raise. Okay. Well, let's look at like how a raise will positively impact your budget. No. Is that yeah, kind of what you're talking about? Yeah, right? yeah, right. So, I don't have a budget. What budget? No, we're not going to look at that. Um, right, but if you ask for a raise and don't look at your budget, then you don't off end up any better. You actually, I, my experience has been, a lot of people keep trying to solve their, their cash flow problem by just increasing their income, but they don't make the connection back over to their spending plan. Right. Or budget. And so they just actually end up kind of deeper in the hole because now they just have to make more and more money to keep. Right. So being able to integrate these two things together is really powerful, isn't it? Mm, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. This is, I mean, even inside of me is really clarifying because as I was listening to you describe this, before I became a therapist, I was all numbers. Yep, me too. <laughs> right? I was all numbers. And then it's like somewhere I got, I don't know, broken is probably not the right word. It might offend some people, but this is my podcast. So I'll say broken. I got broken somewhere along the way. And then I like kind of learned like, no, it's all about processing your feelings and your thoughts and your behaviors, like just kind of making sense out of it, but not really actually looking at your budget, all of like Ed's checking account, not really going where it needs to go and having a plan. But man, I could tell you about how I felt about things and even what I aspired for, but like getting it to line up. And so part of financial well-being and and health is truly integrative, isn't it? It is. Yes, I think so. I I really don't think uh, we can really ignore one side or the other. It It doesn't work out. I think I, when I work with people, I think of you know this continuum between purely, uh-huh. purely analytical, purely the numbers, more like financial planning, and then purely mental health or more like therapy. Uh-huh. When I work with people, you know, somewhere, not everybody's at the same place. You know, the, the work doesn't always fall at the same place, like right in the middle. You know, where we're fifty fifty and working with both. <laughs> right. Right. It doesn't it doesn't work out that way, but it's somewhere where there's where there's both. Well, then kind of maybe taking this one step further, would you say that when you're working with couples, especially that now you're identifying where both people are at on that continuum and then helping them 
find a way to be collaboratively together? Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Finding a way to work collaboratively together, but that doesn't mean that they have to be at the same point. Ooh, yes. Great, great distinction. Say more about that. Yeah. I mean, I think that we naturally, you know, everybody will fall, you know, we'll have like kind of a love for spreadsheets more so than a love for emotions and vice versa, you know, and that's okay. You know, we don't have to change who we are and our preferences and what, what we love and how we primarily see the world. Like we don't have to change that lens in order to be able to work with someone who has a different, is is a different point, different angle. Like I think the main thing is that are both partners willing to explore both sides, you know, within themselves? Are they willing to explore both sides and share that with each other and find a way to incorporate both, you know, with their money. The complimentary piece comes to mind. And, you know, I, I guess my own thoughts about couples and partnering is sometimes, you know, we hear that well, opposites attract and I, certainly we can point to the saver spender dynamic, I think feels just so relevant here. Right. And a saver marries a spender and, you know, initially maybe it's really like attractive. Well, I've never seen someone actually save money before. This is pretty cool. Well, you spend money so freely. How do you do that? Whoa. And then you get like two years, three years down the road and you're like, you spent how much on shoes? (laughs) That's not in the budget. What are you doing? Right. And, And so what was initially attractive is now unattractive. And it's like, and then they come with the spreadsheet and say like, see right here, you can't, you can't spend that much money here. Like what's wrong with you? And it goes into like, what's wrong with you. And so I, I love that you were saying, Sarah, that like, it's, it's really about like, this is part of who, who each person is at this point in time. And I think we both revealed about ourselves. We've actually changed some of our preference. <laughs> yes, we have. Haven't we? Yes. You know, and, and I don't know where you're at and that like, it sounds like maybe you still love the numbers side. Like I think there's, I've gone through a period of time where I'm like loathe. I don't want to have anything to do with a damn spreadsheet or financial projections. Like they're worthless. Who cares? <laughs> not, not the healthiest response, but it is what it is. That's part of the trick too, is over our life courses, we, we may evolve and change and go through different seasons too. Right. Right. Yes. I think that's the beautiful thing. That's when I start to see it as a journey. You know, the next thing that's coming up for me, Sarah, and I'm curious kind of your thoughts on this is around like being financially responsible. I feel like it's swimming in the waters we're talking about, but it's, it's another element of being with money of feeling highly responsible for making money, being economically productive and taking care of things and, and maybe even taking care of others through your work and money. And then kind of the other side of that coin is like no responsibility for money, just being taken care of. Like, I don't want to think about it. I'm just going to do whatever I do. Right. Like another kind of continuum. Have you seen in your own life or in the clients that you work with where people almost need to have like a corrective experience of having a period of time of, of becoming financially quote unquote irresponsible or not responsible or, really being able to step into like for the first time being responsible with money and for making money. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have seen instances of that. Yes. Where, you know, that 
when we start exploring what people feel and believe about money, that, that is a common part of the story, which is this time of crisis or this time where, you know, then people tend to be pretty critical about themselves when they tell this part of the story, you know, this time that I, you know, I messed this up or I, I got really into debt and somebody bailed me out or, you know, um, I bounced a check and my mom got really mad and told me about that. And then that's when I learned that there's not an infinite supply of money just because I have checks and, you know, things like that. So I don't, I don't know if that's exactly what you're getting at, but it's just this, um, this time of what they would, what they're considering financially irresponsibility in their life that helped them that they learned from and has helped them be more in their more responsible state today. Yeah, I think that's definitely part of that element. And I love the the example you're trying to say about the checks and bouncing the check and then receiving the kind of the, the wrath of mom. And, um, you know, just because you have checks doesn't mean there's infinite amounts of money. Right. And and yet, like, we can get stuck holding that shame or embarrassment around mismanagement of money. And, yeah, you know, sure. I think that's where responsibility comes is so interwoven with our relationship with money and what we're told about how responsible we are with money. Like I've, so many clients have reflected on parents saying kind of more on that irresponsible. You're just so irresponsible. If, if you spend money like this as a now, how will you ever to a young kid who like <laughs> they don't even know what money really is. <laughs> And yeah. so, you know, we get these money messages as kids about how responsible or not responsible we are in general as a person and then specifically around money, right? So we right. have kind of that, like, I grew up with a self-concept that I'm a very responsible person. Right, yeah. And I started, to, as I, especially as I was older, some out of my own making, I guess, but some out of however I interpret what my parents were saying. I saw my brother as the irresponsible one, right? Mm -hmm. And like that set up this weird kind of ongoing dynamic. And, you know, everything that I saw him doing with money, I just saw through the lens of, see, he's being irresponsible again. Right. And I need to be the good big brother and be responsible. And, And yet in my own life and marriage, I started out as very financially responsible and then, got married and my wife was, is a dentist and was making plenty of money. So then I didn't feel responsible for making money. And that's been a really weird head game. So yeah. (laughs) So you didn't know this, but I'm actually tricked you. I wanted you to be my financial therapist today. I'm just going to share a bunch of Ed stories. Sorry. I see Ed. I see. (laughs) So, you know what, one of the things that's coming up for me is that, you know, the idea of the pendulum swinging, Right. Yes. yes. And I'm wondering if that's maybe one of the things that you're also getting at a little bit is that if we find ourselves on one extreme or the other and you know, we want to have some more balance. Sometimes we, you know, we swing mm. way far to the other end. And that maybe this is the corrective experience you're talking about a little bit, or maybe this fits in somehow before we land at some more comfortable balance point where we want to be. I mean, not just with money, but just in life, you know, yeah, I think, no, I love that. The pendulum swing is such a valuable concept. I know in my own world and work, both for my own work and with clients, and it sounds like you use that as well, is that oftentimes we'll overcorrect. Yeah. I mean, I've seen that in myself personally, you know, as I've made emotional growth over the years. 
like, I need to learn to have a voice. Well, I'm going to have a voice now. It's like, wait a second. (laughs) (laughs) Too much voice. It doesn't have to be that loud, you know. Eventually we learn we don't have to be loud to be heard. But there may be a time when that is what I need to do is I need to be loud. Because I have been silent, right? So. Hmm. I love that, Sarah. Like just, and because in that I picked up that there's permission to overcorrect. Yes. Yes. How do you know otherwise? How do you know where it's comfortable, where the edge is? How do you know? Well, you can't know. Yeah, I guess you have to feel it. It's interesting as you're saying this, because I think I'm in this public speaking um, program and training. And one of the exercises that have you do is called over the top. Oh. And it's just permission to be like over the top goofy or over the top loud or whatever that element of your talk so that you know like what the extreme other side is because most of the time what they're true was true for me and the other speakers is they're too hesitant. They're too minimizing. They're not showing up enough in the silliness that's appropriate for the story or the anger or the sadness. And so it's like, no, just be, rah! you know, it's like, oh, okay, wait, no, it wasn't quite that much. Uh, yeah. But I think, you know, knowing that you work with a lot of folks around trauma and, you know, have your own understanding of healing journeys around that, that's a big part of what we're doing too with financial therapy, right? Is helping people find their voice when they've felt voiceless around their money. Yes. Can you yeah. say a little bit more about that? Yeah, it's amazing how strong those experiences, the repeated ongoing experiences as a child where I couldn't uh, have what I wanted, there wasn't enough money, I needed to be told what, what I could have, what I couldn't have, down to what I could order in a restaurant, just... You know, those types of things still impacting decisions, you know, for people in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s. You know, there's, there's no age, you know, there's no, we don't grow out of it. It's not something you just grow out of. <laughs> oh, just wait and I'll grow out of it, you know, so. Damn. Yeah. I was hoping that by my 50s I'd just outgrow it, but I know. no. You're saying no. Okay. It's not, well, well, I'm not 50 yet, but I'm getting there. And, it's, you know, I just don't think. <laughs> uh, yeah, I've just, time does, you know, time time is powerful and it's not, alone is not, not, not the healer. So, yeah, just helping people make that link, mm. you know, consciously, like, what is the voice that's speaking to you right now that's telling you you can't make this decision, you can't have this, um, you don't matter here? You know, where let's let's identify that voice, let's hear it as separate from you. Change your relationship with it. Yes. This interview has been such a gift. And as we kind of bring it to a close, I, I'm just beyond thrilled that we're having this conversation and hope that we're going to have more that we share publicly, you know, because you're able to share both beautiful, practical examples of how this shows up and then help us understand kind of conceptually what's going on. And I loved you. It kind of went by so fast. So people didn't pick up on it, but you talked about like down to being told how much to spend at the restaurant. 
Like that's how nuanced this stuff gets. Yeah. And as soon as you said that, man, it hit me because I was, I remember feeling my own outrage as a child when my brother would order the expensive dish. And I would have this thought like, you can't order that. That's too expensive. Yes. And he seemed to not care at all. Oh, I can right? feel that in my chest and I can feel that. <laughs> and, and I don't know. I'm going to, now I've got some, uh, my own processing to do after this <laughs> interview to figure out where is that coming from? My sense is I had a, my own interpretation of my family finances is that things are tight and we need to be financially thoughtful. Right. And that, that's about me. I don't, some of the family context, but I don't think my parents ever said, now, Steve, you can't order from this side of the menu. Right. But there's the classic, like the, the appetizers on one side, the main course on the other, like the kids menu, we're kids. You need to order off of that because, Oh man, Sarah, this is, Oh, it's opening up a lot for me. Cause I, you know, I've got my three boys and I'm thinking like, no, I'm only getting one kid's meal. Cause the last time we went out to eat, I know both of you boys only ate half your kid's meal. So no, like that, right. It's always, man. Oh, so good. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, I, I totally tricked you and I'm sorry. I didn't even know I was going to do that to you, but I appreciate your patience with me, Sarah. Any parting words that you would offer for this, this podcast interview? You know, I just want to echo what you've said and say thanks for the opportunity. It really has been a very grounding, enlightening, and enjoyable conversation. And I do hope we get to do it again. Awesome. That would be great. Well, um, Sarah, I'm going to put a link to your, your professional website. So if people want to connect with you and, and the work that you're doing as a therapist and financial therapist, they can find you easily. Thank you so much for being on your own journey and sharing some of your time today. Yeah, it's my pleasure, Ed. Thank you. All right. Take care. Take care. I invite you now to stop for five or 10 minutes and reflect on what you just heard. Maybe even journal about it. Give yourself the time to consider what you just heard and what it means to you. By giving yourself the time to reflect and integrate what you just heard, it will help you along your journey of learning, healing, and growing towards financial intimacy in your life. Please like and follow this podcast and share with someone that would benefit from being on the journey of financial intimacy. Wishing you healthy love and money. Ed. Ed.